Okay, we are reading in Luke chapter 24 from verse 44. Luke 24, 44. We are continuing along the chronological life of Jesus, just completing, just near the end. Uh, he's already uh, been through the crucifixion and the resurrection. And now he's during this 40-day this period where he is instructing his disciples prior to his ascension. So he, was, he, was, uh, he, he worked on earth for about 40 days after his, his, uh, his, his um, ascension. I'm sorry, after his resurrection. So we're in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. <clears throat> now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay here in the city. You are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he starts out in this portion as he's meeting with his disciples now. He starts out in verse 44. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. He says, I am reiterating to you the things that I told you before my crucifixion. I'm just, just telling you. And he says, everything that was written. He says, in the law of Moses the prophets, and the Psalms. So remember, in, in, in the Jewish scriptures, it's divided into three sections, just like we will say the Old Testament, the New Testament. The, the Tanakh, or the Old Testament, is divided primarily into three sections. You have the writings of Moses, the law of Moses. You have, have the prophets, and then you have the, the Psalms, which would be the, the, uh, the, the song books. He says in every one of those sections, in every one of those sections, it has been written about Jesus and what would happen. And then he, he was specifically going through this. And there's been many texts written about this, documenting from every one of those sections, the prophecies that were, were outlined that would happen to the Messiah, to the Christ when he would come. Then he says, it is all must be fulfilled. Then he says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I want you to get this point. When you go to the Scriptures, say, Lord, speak to me. Before I was a believer, I remember picking up the Scriptures and trying to understand it. And I was totally unable to understand it. I could not understand the Scriptures. Then, when you are a believer, what you are to do is say, Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. Lord, speak to me. The Lord has the ability to open our minds to understand the Scriptures. Prior to this, He was telling them this during his lifetime, pointing out to them that this has been written, this has been written, and it never connected. They never understood his kingdom program. And now, he says, he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. So when you do this, this is what I was told to do when I was young, your age, and discipled by, by a, a man named Dr. T.E. Koshi. He says, when you open up the word of God, say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me through the scriptures. And this is the same prayer I use to this day. Lord, speak to me. And watch the difference when you ask God to open up your mind that you can understand this text, that you can understand these words. He says, and then he says, uh, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, this is the Messiah, the Christ would suffer 
and rise again from the dead the third day. Where was, it, where was it written? It was written not in the New Testament. The New Testament didn't exist. It was written in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, and in the Psalms. Throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Old Testament, it's been written. And he began to show them passage after passage where this has been written. He began to open their eyes. The same thing that he did with, the, with, with those that he walked with on the road to Emmaus. That the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Each one of these passages is written. Then he says, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. That repentance for forgiveness of sins. Repentance for forgiveness of sins. This is what he starts with. Repentance for forgiveness of sins. When a young man first shared with me about Jesus, about the Messiah. I was in college, I was 18 years old, and I was a freshman in college, the age of many of you. And he shared with me and he said, I want to give you an illustration of the gospel because we had been talking. I asked him what he wanted to do when he graduated. He said he wanted to go into lay ministry. I had no idea what that meant. He said, oh, maybe like a missionary. And I thought, we don't need missionaries today. He said, I'd like to give you an illustration of the gospel. And, and I didn't know exactly what he was going to do, but he began to show me verses from the Bible. And he showed me a verse and it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That was the first verse that I ever remember reading with him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I looked at him and I said, I am not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I've never robbed a bank and I've never killed anybody. How could I be a sinner? Then he had me turn to a portion that, that, that's documented in, in, in the Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said, If anyone looks upon a woman to lust after her, He's committed adultery with her already in his heart. And that really hit me because this was the first time that I had realized that I was a sinner. It, it says here that repentance for forgiveness of sins. There must be repentance for forgiveness of sins. What is the task to do? It is repentance. Repentance means this. Repentance means that I'm walking in this direction and I turn around and I go the other way. Repentance is not just being remorseful. Judas was remorseful for betraying Jesus. But he wasn't repentant. He was remorseful. It is not just remorse. It is turning and going in the other direction, walking toward the Lord. This is what he calls us to. It is different than, than, than uh, just being remorseful. And when he said that, I'll tell you why it hit me so hard. Because at the age of 18, I was addicted to pornography. There was no internet in those days. I had gotten hold of, of uh, magazines from the place that I had been working. And uh, I became addicted at a very young age to pornography. And I didn't think anybody knew. I was newly there in college. I didn't bring those magazines with me. I mean, if you got caught with those magazines, people would look, with, look at you really strangely in those days. And, uh, um, and I didn't think anybody knew, but Jesus called me out. And it exposed me, and it really hit me hard. And I remember looking at him and saying, if that's the definition of sin, then I'm a sinner. I want you to turn to, to the, the, uh, the epistle of Jude. Jude is just before Revelation. It is only one chapter. It is only one chapter, and it's the book just before Revelation. The book of Revelation. And so you have Jude, and we're in Jude, and we're going to start reading from verse 1. Now, Jude is the brother of James. 
James was the leader of the first church. Both Jude and James were either half-brothers of the Lord Jesus himself or they were cousins of the Lord, depending on, on what your thoughts are concerning Mary. But they are, he is mentioned in Mark chapter 6 when it's going through the brothers of, of, of Jesus. And uh, uh, James is listed, Jude is listed. And this is, this is that Jude. And it says Jude, and, and it says his brothers, he witnessed to his brothers, and his brothers now came to the Lord during this period when he was walking on earth, this 40-day period. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was still making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once, which was once for all handed down to the saints. So what is he saying? He says, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I feel compelled to write this. He says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This thing that he calls us into, where there's repentance, this is not just for the believer not just for the unbeliever. It's for all of us. Unbelievers repent and decide to turn toward Jesus. Believers repent and turn toward Jesus because our hearts are wicked. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart of man is more deceitful than all else who can understand it. So think of the most deceitful thing that you can think of. Jeremiah says, The heart of man is more deceitful than that. Is that is the heart of man. And who among us, whose heart, wouldn't condemn them? He says that there are people, there are licentiousness among us. That did not, going through this, we deny our Lord and Master. You can see right up at the top, he's writing to the brethren. He's writing to those beloved in God. He says in verse 5, Now I desire to remind you, Though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own, did not keep their own dominion, but abandoned their proper abode, he, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality, and when after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of, etern of eternal fire. So what he's making reference to is a portion out of Genesis chapter 19 where it says the men of Sodom came and they went and they, uh, uh, there were two angels in the form of men came to declare judgment on that city and the men wanted to rip their clothes off and have sex with them. It's pretty nasty, even there in the book of Genesis. This is not a new thing. This was happening in the beginning. This is what he's making reference to. And he says, in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh. Isn't that interesting? By dreaming, we can defile the flesh. It is not just what we do with our hands. It is even by dreaming. The Lord wants control of everything in our lives. Again, whose heart here does not condemn them? about what goes on in our mind. And what I want to do is I want to take you through the life of a very godly man. 
because I'm always struck by this. And we're going to look at the life of David. So turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel. And we're going to start looking at verse 11. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to look at the life of David. This man, David, was amazing in his walk. He had an amazing walk with God. And I want you to think about this. This is a man with a great walk of God. We should all long to have the depth of relationship with God that David had. But watch what even David can fall into. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. So this is the season that kings go out to battle. But David didn't go out to battle. He should have been out in battle. I mean, when you're idle, you get into all sorts of trouble. That's why I say keep young people busy, keep young men busy, and they won't become terrorists. If they're sitting around too much, they're going to think of evil things to do. You've got to keep them busy. This is why I have no problem giving a lot of homework. You just keep them busy. You don't want them to have idle time. Verse 2. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her, and when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Okay, so David is, is, is wandering around at night, and so he, he's gotten kind of antsy, and he's gone up in the middle of the night in the evenings to, to his rooftop. I mean, remember, this guy already has several wives by this time. And whatever he wants, he can certainly have. But remember, he's king, so he's in charge. Now, I have been to the place where they believe David's, David's uh, uh, home was. And it's right up on this hill. And so, when, if he were up on that, on this tower, then everything else looks down from this. So, he could easily see on the rooftops. This woman wasn't trying to seduce anyone. She was just taking a bath. She was just minding her own business. She wasn't trying to seduce anyone. And the reason we know this is because ultimately God uses her and through her, ultimately not her first child, but her second child, it comes King Solomon through, through which the line comes. She wasn't seducing him. David went, goes and he sees this woman bathing like he doesn't have any women of his own. He has lots of women of his own. He had wives and he had concubines. So he was well taken care of. But again, the heart of man is desperately sick. And lest you think that, oh, you would never do such a thing, just remember, the more power you get, the more prone you are to abuse power. One day you won't be a student anymore, you'll be a CEO. And you'll understand how easy it is to abuse power. How easy it is to take advantage of somebody that works for you. How easy it is to take advantage of a secretary or somebody that works for you. The heart of human beings is desperately sick. And he looks out, he sees this woman bathing. And so David sent and inquired about the woman. So he's, he's asking, sort of, who is that woman? You know, maybe he can get another wife. I mean, like he doesn't have enough. 
And one said to him, Is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I mean, men know what other men are thinking. They really do. And this servant of David is looking at him, that woman? That is the home of Uriah the Hittite, the daughter of Eliam. They didn't just say, oh, that's, they didn't just mention her name. They didn't just say, oh, that's Bathsheba. No. They said, that is the wife of Uriah, the daughter of Eliam. Who are they? If you go into the second last chapter of 2 Samuel, you will find out in, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, it lists David's mighty men. You know who's on that list of mighty men? Uriah. You know who else is there? Eliam. Eliam is Bathsheba's father. He is one of David's mighty men who's out besieging Rabbah on behalf of David. Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. Who was Eliam? Eliam was, so Eliam is Bathsheba's father. Eliam's father is Ahithophel, the Gilonite. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Who was Ahithophel? Ahithophel, the Gilonite. That was David's trusted counselor. David knows her husband. David knows her father. David knows her grandfather. They are friends of his. This is like you're hitting on your best friend's wife. That's what it's like. That's how wicked this is. When they said to him, that's the daughter of Eliam, watch yourself. That's the wife of Uriah. You better watch out. And remember, your trusted counselor is Ahithophel. That's his granddaughter. Don't mess with her. David, get back in your house. But David being king, he sends for her. No harm in just sending for her. I mean, come on. Just sending for her. He sends for her, but the heart of man is wicked. You can be very much saved but your heart can be entrenched in wickedness. And you don't even see it. And other people are trying to point it out to you. And you're blinded to this thing. Other people point it out to you. The heart's okay. Just visiting with her. It's okay. And he says, David sent messengers and took her. When she came to him, he lay with her. You think, oh, well, why did she do this? He's king. I mean, she's just a young lady. He's king. I mean, this is, this is such a differential of power. So, so for example, people will say, well, why don't you share the gospel with everybody who comes to your office? They say, I share the gospel enough, but I've got to be careful. Because there's a differential of power. Somebody's in my class, and I oversee their grade. And what kind of differential power is it when I start preaching the gospel to them and they feel like they've got to keep me happy, they, I control their grade? You see what I mean? When there's a differential of power, you have to be sensitive to the situation. This guy's not just a professor, he's king. You know, he can just say a word and people die. Happened all the time. What's this young girl going to do? He lays with her, she washes herself, she just goes home. She wants nothing to do with this. But now she's pregnant. Her husband's been out in this battle for months and months and now she's pregnant. Now what should happen to her? 
is she's going she's to get, get killed when she starts showing her pregnancy. Because obviously she's committed adultery. But this was forced upon her. So what does David do? Now she's pregnant. Verse 6. Then David sent to Joab saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of war. Isn't that interesting? He sends for Uriah. So now here's the woman's husband who he knows has been fighting this battle for him. Family friend. So how's the battle going? Hey, (laughs) good job. I mean, his heart is so blinded. Here he's talking with this guy like they're old buddies. And he slept with the man's wife. This is how sick our hearts are. This is why he calls us to repentance for the, for, for the forgiveness of sins. If you have not received the Lord, you are unable to battle this. Once you receive the Lord, we live lives of repentance and continually turning to Jesus. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. So what's David doing? He's trying to get Uriah to come back from the battle. Been away from his wife for for months and months. Wants him to go and sleep with his wife just to cover it up. Just cover it up. But Uriah is a righteous man. He said, I'm not going to go sleep with her. Why not? Now when David was, when they told David saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why do you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Do you see how righteous this man was? He said, my Lord Joab, meaning the commander of the army, is out in in, in the open field fighting. And you want me to just go and sleep with my wife? No way. I am devoted to this nation of Israel. I'm devoted. And the ark of God is in temporary shelters. We've got to establish this kingdom. I'm not doing this. And then when he says, "By, by your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. That is... He has now sworn, I will not do it. Now David's desperate. Because once he said this, this is he's swearing that he's not going to violate this. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also. Then tomorrow I'll let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David called him and he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. David made him drunk. That means David the king keeps saying, drink more. No, drink more. When the king says drink, you've got to drink. We don't understand kingship. If you, go to the, if you go to the UK, they understand it. I remember there was a, a, there was a, a, a princess of... Um, I, I, I don't even remember what, what country... Was it... Was it uh, uh, one Asian country. She visited Stanford. I was a postdoc there and she had been a chemist at Stanford and now she came, she gave a seminar and was totally recited and she had people in the back changing the slides for her and I asked her one question and it stumped her. It wasn't to stump her. I wanted some clarity and the guys from from England, from the UK afterward, how could you ask the princess a question? 
She says she's a chemist. She was presenting chemistry. I mean, to the Americans, we're like, no, she's giving a talk, you ask her a question. And the guy's from, no, you don't ask a princess a question like that. We don't understand. We don't understand aristocracy. This man, David, forced him to drink. He made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. So now David's in a real fix. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So David writes a letter saying, Joab, commander of the army, you take this man, you put him in the fiercest battle and then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and killed. He closes it up, seals it. He says, Uriah, deliver this letter for me, would you please? To the general. He's taking his own death warrant. Brings it to the general. The general puts him in front of a fierce battle and he dies. Not just him, but in pulling back, several other people around him died also. How do you leave just one man and run away? I mean, you've got to go to the fiercest thing. and then So, so several other people died. In this. this is what David did. Do you see the magnitude of this? This is a man who had such a heart for God. This is what David did. Because the heart of man can be so wicked. And then, after all of this is done, a man named Nathan, a prophet, comes and he sticks his finger in his face. He says, you are the man. And God exposes his sin. Your sin will find you out. Let's, let's turn to... Uh, to Proverbs. Book of Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. In Proverbs chapter 5, it talks about, talks about uh, um, the man going with the wayward woman. Let's start picking up at verse 7. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7. Now then, my son, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien and you will groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I've not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Hear me in this. Men, women, it is so good to be able to be speaking to you before you're married. Just remember, you will have opportunity to break the vow of marriage. You say, well, it won't happen to me. You will be confronted with it several times in your marriage. Just remember this. You will lose everything. Everything. He says, your hard-earned goods are going to go to the house of an alien. You will lose everything. I have seen marriages go through this sort of thing. And those men are cocky and think that they can do this. They lose everything. They go from very high place to nothing. You will lose everything. And if, by the grace of God, you're able to work through it in marriage, it is years Years to rebuild that trust. 
And it starts when you're unmarried. You mess around with pornography now. You will bring that right into your marriage. You think, well, when I'm married, I won't need it. Oh, yes, you will take it right into your marriage. You bring it right on in. You bring it right on into your bedroom in marriage. If not in the act, in the thoughts. And your spouse will know it. Because they will understand what it is that you're, they're being objectified by you. You repent. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins is a way of life for the believer. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins is a way of life. You guard and you protect your marriage now, before you are married. And if you are addicted to pornography already because it is so blatant and easy to get addicted to through the internet, repent and you start counseling with people that you trust to work through this so that you don't carry this with you into marriage. You protect this relationship. You will lose everything. You will lose your children. You will lose your home. Then he goes on. He says, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Hear me. Hear me in this. You will have opportunity in your life. And the higher you move on up the ladder, because of the power that you will then command, you will have more opportunity and you will have people hitting on you. Because they'll think that, wow, this is really a high-level person. You will lose everything. Remember this. Everything will be lost. What happened to David, yes, he repented. But as a result, his own, his own son tried to kill him, had a rebellion, split the kingdom. His own son uh, uh, tried to take over the kingdom. His own son then slept with David's concubines. What David did to another man, his own son did to him. You reap what you sow. Whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. Turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the Psalm of David that he went through during his time of repentance. Psalm 51. This is, this is what repentance looks like. This is what it looks like. David pens this psalm. Psalm 51, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look what he does. He says it for what it is. In our politically correct world, we can't say anything is sin. It's all a matter of one's own liking. No, the scriptures clearly call things sin. And he called it upon himself. He says, I have done wrong. This is sin. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned, and I have done what's evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. It's not that, oh, why, God, why are you being so hard on me? Come on, it's just a little thing. You know, pornography, you know, this is a victimless crime. I mean, come on. You will carry this in your marriage. Tell me how victimless it is when you're preparing yourself for your spouse. 
It will affect you, it will affect your spouse, and it will heavily affect your children. Verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me no wisdom. You desire truth in the innermost being, in my heart. This is where it starts. I have to be truthful in my heart. If you've got people instructing you that something is wrong, don't just blow this off and think, oh no, they don't know what they're talking about. If I have men that I respect pointing out something in my life, may I immediately drop what I do and say, you're right. I mean, I didn't see it, but I'm just going to follow this. You are right. You do that, you repent quickly. Get a life of turning, a life of repentance before it just, just builds up. He wants truth in the innermost being. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. When you're walking in sin, your bones are going to ache. It will start affecting you physically. It will affect your work. It will affect you physically. When a man is caught in adultery, their work just plummets. They go broke. Their work just plummets. I mean, and, and it leads to the breakup of the home. You, you could just chop two years out of his career. It's just terrible. Create in me a clean heart, O God. In verse, verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. You see what he says? He says, you have joy for me in this whole thing. Let me turn to you and restore my joy because that's the first thing you're going to lose. The first thing that you will lose is you will lose your joy. And if you read on in that epistle of Jude, he, will, he specifically says, these people, you can mark them specifically, very quickly. You mark them specifically because they're grumblers, they're complainers. And the first thing you'll start doing is complaining about everybody else. That's where you know there's a problem. Because if you've got a problem with everybody else, it's not their problem, it's your problem. Then he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. And that's what happens when we turn and repent. The Lord restores us and then we can also help others. Because those of us that have been addicted to pornography, we understand those who are addicted to pornography. We understand the overwhelming draw that that is on the heart and on the mind. And so I don't judge you, my brothers. I really don't. I've been through that. I want to see you delivered. I want to see you free from that. That's what I want. The Lord takes us from that to clean us up and to restore us to work with others. Let's pray. Abba, Thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would walk according to the truth of the gospel. For those here who know you, who know our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that they would walk lives of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
Father, that they would turn toward You. And I just want to want to ask that even right now, you start confessing things to the Lord. Confess to the Lord if there's something that's poking at your heart. And Lord, I pray for those here who don't know you. I pray, Lord, that this very day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. That they would repent and turn toward you and follow Jesus. That this very day they would be saved. Father, our hearts condemn us because we know that we are wicked. Father, have mercy on us, we pray. And I pray for these young people that you would protect them, protect their marriages, protect their relationships. Father, protect them, I pray, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.